first took the Enneagram probably 10 years ago. We were required to do it at work. Not too excited about it because I just said, oh boy, here's another personality assessment that I will fail. I mean, I thought that really you could fail this. And then when I got the feedback, I thought, oh my goodness, here I am on paper. Uh, My strengths and my weaknesses in print. This is very, very accurate. But immediately I go to the challenges thinking, Oh gosh, this is true. This is me. <laughs> this is where I am challenged. Uh, this is where uh, the one thing, the one big task that I need to do, uh, I'm avoiding it. Uh, I'm avoiding it and I will do anything. Just yesterday, in fact, I, I, I mowed, I raked, uh, I swept the sidewalk. I've never swept the sidewalk in years, uh, swept the sidewalk, swept the driveway because I was avoiding the one task that I had to do uh, that really was difficult. Uh, and that is to discuss a challenging thing with my wife. But uh, I worked until 9 p.m. at keeping busy. Who sweeps the driveway? <laughs> you know, so I uh, have a hard time doing that big thing, the big number one thing that's important. Welcome to the Story Enneagram Podcast. I'm Jim Gum, and I'm an Enneagram trainer and coach living in Kansas City. Today, we're going to hear from some self-preservation nines as part of this season's series on the self-preservation subtypes. The self-preservation nine is called appetite. They're self-deprecating, concrete, and steadfast. Their inward reality is often masked behind an outward demeanor that may be described as chill. Have you ever known someone who is so much better at calming the storm instead of ruffling the feathers? Today, we're going to listen to stories from self-preservation nines to understand how their desire to create peace and avoid conflict can end up benefiting others more than it benefits themselves. As you heard Philip share in the opening, self-preservation nines find comfort in routine activities. Here's Sarah describing how she ends her day. And a lot of when I was reading uh, was of the self-preservation nine specifically seeking those routines of bodily comfort, you know, of the physical, like, and that is my routine in the evening. And I will go downstairs, I'll work on my puzzle, and then I will get a bowl of ice cream and I will sit in the chair and I will watch TV. And that is my routine. And like, no matter how tired I am, if I should just go to bed instead or whatnot, like, that is what I will do. There's a Danish word that describes taking time away from the daily rush to be together with the people you care about or even by yourself, to relax and enjoy life's quieter pleasures. The word is spelled H-Y-G-G-E and pronounced Huga. Here's how Jesse describes it. So all the comfort, all the cozy. I don't know if you've heard of Huga. It's a word for cozy or comfort. I'm so into that. <laughs> so when I come home from work, it's pretty much change off into comfy clothes, sweatpants or something. And then I sit down and watch mindless TV pretty much for the rest of the day. And like, that's all I have the capacity for because my job in social work is just draining emotionally and like interacting with a lot of people. So I am so done by the end of the day. I need like 
quite a while to recharge. <laughs> a lot of the times it's something I do by myself while I listen to like an audiobook or something. So it's like, okay, this is my alone time to do the thing I like. I like the repetitive nature of it. I like to sew sometimes here and there, but I don't like to follow instructions. I like to just figure it out as I go on my own. When I'm stressed and avoiding something, I usually cook, bake. Yeah, I like to bake a lot. It's something I like to do by myself. I don't really enjoy baking or cooking with other people. (laughs) I have a friend. She told me on the weekend that her kids and husband went out of town. I was like, oh, that's nice. You got some time alone. She's like, no, I didn't really want time alone. Like I went and hung out with my friends for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. Type nines are called the mediator or peacemaker. As my teacher, David Daniels said, type nine is located at the top of the Enneagram for a reason. Everything hangs upon it. Type nines hold the world together. Sarah relates a story about what it was like growing up with her parents and sisters. Growing up, I was the middle sister. So I had a younger sister, an older sister, and an older brother. And I would say my sisters had a lot stronger personalities than I did. I was put in the middle a lot. Um, Literally in the middle seat of the car (laughs) and in the middle seat at church. Um, But also figuratively, you know, I would be the go-between kind of between them and my parents, you know, especially in smoothing things over. Or if they were arguing with each other, I would try to calm that peace uh, with them. And Philip played a similar role in his family. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think about this sometimes. Whenever there's an argument, whenever someone's voice is is raised, whether it's at work or at my current family, I always try to settle everybody down. Like, and and I did that as a child too, with siblings and with even parents, just trying to to bring calm, to bring peace, to bring uh, uh, balance to to whatever it was and hearing everybody's side, but then just saying, hey, this is something that we can resolve. So I, I think that's that plays into it too, just a, a family of origin. <laughs> Boy, there is nothing like a board game to, <laughs> to, to analyze who is the most competitive. Yeah, because I didn't really care. I didn't really care who won. I don't care if I won. I just wanted everyone to, to enjoy themselves. But boy, you can really see the competitive nature of, of some people uh, when <laughs> you have a dining room table in a board game. And if there wasn't furniture broken, that was a success, you know? Generally, you know, someone t- turned the table over, you know, and that's how it ended. <laughs> Oh, pick up the pieces and try to, you know, the peacemaker is just trying to bring calm. Physically pick up pieces, but also uh, I think emotionally try to uh, pick up pieces and kind of wonder what just happened there. How did that get out of hand? Jesse relates a story about when her motivation for peacemaking was questioned. So my dad's always said I'm a peacemaker. I think since I was little, he kind of said that. He must have started noticing just my personality. I think when I was a little older, I remember my mom kind of pushing back when he said this. My mom said, yeah, Jesse's a peacemaker, but it's not really to help other people all the time. It's because she wants the peace. She wants it for herself, like the calm and stable surroundings. I've realized that is true. I want the peace for myself, not necessarily to help other people all the time. It's great because it does help people sometimes, but it's a little bit selfish sometimes too. I mean, I have a good relationship with my mom. I know she knows me pretty well, so I wasn't too mad. It was a bit like, uh, oh, that's not really nice. (laughs) So 
So I always think back to that when I want peace or what I think is peace and which is really just calm and no drama. And I'm like, okay, what am I really wanting this for? At times it's a comment like the one from Jesse's mom that tells us the truth about ourselves. It wakes us up to our type. It challenges our story. When you're a peacemaker, others look for you to always keep the peace. There's a saying about type nines that they're going along to get along. If they change their tune, they may be surprised by the result. Here's a story Sarah shared. There was one time we were all a part of Venture Scouts, which did like boys and girls. We were going ice skating and my older sister did not want to go, but I really wanted us to go together like all as a family. And so I remember initially I was really annoyed with her. I was like, come on, like, let's all go together. And she's like, no, I don't want to. And I actually think I did get really angry at her, which was very uncharacteristic of me. But that's what got through to her. She's like, oh. Sarah's actually getting angry with me. This is actually something really important to her. I should go. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, I didn't think that would work. The passion of the nine is sloth, but as far as these types go, it really doesn't have anything to do with laziness. In fact, most nines can be very active. The sloth is seen in the tendency to self-forget, to minimize and make yourself and your needs less than others. Sarah was surprised when she was able to change her sister's mind when she was more insistent or showed anger. Here's how self-forgetting plays out in Philip's life. Absolutely. You know, so I work for the federal government and every time I get a performance appraisal, I score the highest in team building. So I am always, we have 10 people on the team and I'm always trying to help somebody out. If my boss needs somebody to volunteer, I'm always the first one to volunteer but it's not because I have a lot of free time. It's because I, I value the team. I value the success of the team. And unfortunately, it's at my detriment because, you know, I'll help out somebody else before I need to address the, uh, my big responsibilities. And so that's something I'm just starting to realize that I will accomplish other people's tasks before I, I start working on mine. And that's probably not a great strategy, but that's, that's the way I was built, to value the accomplishments of the team first. Here's a similar story from Sarah's life. Yes. One of my work examples is around my third or fourth year in my school, my best teacher friend was pregnant and she was put on hospital bed rest unexpectedly. So one day she was there, one day she wasn't. I kind of took over all of her paperwork and all of her progress reports and those kinds of things because we were best friends. But there were two other special education teachers that were on the team And we never had a, hey, let's sit down and talk about this of like, who's going to do what, you know, to cover this other teacher. I just did it all myself. And that actually caused quite a few problems and some resentment on the part of the other teachers because I was taking things over and not communicating that with them or not giving us a chance to work together as a team because I just wanted to be able to tell my friend like, yeah, I've got it. I'm handling it all. Selfless service is admirable. However, there's always a couple of other questions to consider. Am I deferring to others out of habit or choice? Is my help the very best thing considering everyone involved? Here's an experience that Jessie remembers from her childhood. I remember sitting in my best friend's living room. We were playing, I think, like Polly Pockets or something. I was talking to her, just playing pretend play. I think we were like 10 or younger or something. My friend's mom's friend came over that I never met before. I didn't know her at all. And later that day, my best friend told me, she's like, when that friend came over, you just 
totally got quiet. You stopped talking. And I was like, oh, I didn't notice that because I hadn't been aware of that I did that. And so I've realized now as I've gotten older, like when somebody knews in this situation, I would just clam up kind of and get silent. But I also think I'm watching that person. I'm observing them. Like I'm learning their personality probably so I know how to react around them. So that's one of the big things I remember, like being introduced to new people, I just kind of clam up. Part of the nine's journey is overcoming their own inertia and getting in motion. The corresponding virtue to sloth is right action. That is doing the one thing that most needs to be done. It counteracts self-forgetting by self-prioritizing. Here's how Philip describes this. I really do think that the most nine thing is avoiding that big number one thing to do and being so busy with other things and almost proving to myself I'm important because I am cleaning the sink. I'm important because I'm washing dishes. I'm important because I'm sweeping the driveway and I'm getting stuff done. Man, look at this. You know, I've got this done. But really, I know in the deep recess of my brain, I'm avoiding the biggest thing that I need to do. And I think that's, to me, the biggest nine thing is avoiding that number one thing that I need to do. And who cares about, you know, these things that I've worked on for two hours? No one. Sarah relates the challenges that she's feeling as a new mom. And I have a really hard time. I mean, there were a couple of times even early on, I would hear Amelia crying in the middle of the night. I would get up and try to feed her. Sometimes she would go back to sleep, sometimes she would not. And a few of the times, like I would hold her, even if I was in tears, like trying to breastfeed her, I would hold her, I would keep trying to do it so that we didn't wake Alexander up because I was taking all of that on myself. And there were just a few times where I was like, I physically cannot do this anymore. And I went into the room and I stood by the bed holding this baby, sobbing my eyes out to wake Alexander up. And I was like, you have to take her. And he's like, why didn't you get me earlier? You know, before you're standing by the side of the bed sobbing, you know, he's like, I will help you. And it is so, so hard for me to accept that help from him, even during the day. And I even asked yesterday, I was like, hey, like, could you watch her? Like, I would really like to get a haircut, you know? And that took me like a week or two to like work up to him to ask him, which is so silly because he would love to take her. But just accepting that help and accepting him doing these things out of love for me and for our daughter is something that's very hard for me. Type nine sometimes can carry an imbalance. They're so good at sensing their family, their friends, their coworkers, the room, the situation, that they'll sacrifice themselves to address what they believe is needed. Even though we're talking about a self-preservation type, they often have the hardest time with self-care. And here's Philip again. Yeah, that's the one value. That's the, the clearest takeaway that I have from the anagram is I have for so long avoided that big uh, task, whether it's in at, at university, avoiding a term paper for days and days and instead of chipping away at it slowly or at work now with the same thing with some, some tasks. That's the one thing I've noticed. I can realize now that I am avoiding something and that's the first step is just the awareness that you're avoiding it. And then oftentimes, um, you know, there's an old expression, well begun is half done. So you just start attacking that task 
just start taking the first couple steps. And generally it's a plan. You develop a plan, whether it's written or in thought, and then it may, it becomes easier. That's the biggest awareness I've had from the Enneagram is how I avoid things and how I will combat myself to, uh, with that avoidance. We started this episode with Philip sweeping the driveway. With the awareness that he's gained, he now realizes what he's doing. He can tell when he's avoiding something. He also has a chance to do the one thing that he knew was most important. Here's the rest of the story. Who sweeps the driveway, <laughs> you know? But uh, that's what I did to avoid it. And then this morning, uh, you know, we finally talked about the difficult thing and it was great. That's it for both this episode of the Story Enneagram podcast and season two. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is a nine who's working on letting their voice be heard, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great if everyone could get all of their needs met without overly sacrificing themselves? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. I offer team building experiences and training for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. Story.